This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y-L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M. For links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, Steve talks about his life growing up with a father who failed to support his family. Then about getting hit by a car when he was a youngster and how it affected his memory and learning. Steve also discusses dealing with the death of loved ones and how it has affected his growth well into adulthood. Steve now has a successful career as a publicist using the connections he made early on as an actor. Here is Steve's story. Uh, hi, my name is Steve Joyner. I am currently residing in San Diego, California. Good to hear from you, Michael. Glad to have you on the show. Yeah, I, I don't know if your listeners know this or not, probably not. I don't. I don't really do these that often, so this is a first, but we've, we, you and I have collaborated for quite a while now on some great interviews, and I'm honored that you requested me to be on your program. This is cool. So, um, a, a story to, to share with you. This is weird, folks, because usually we, you know, we, we, we set these things up and we collaborate, and I feel like I'm on the hot seat. So, uh, and I recently... My older brother Robert passed away last last Saturday, and um, I've been dealing with that all week. So, I hope that your listeners hear this and they enjoy it. It's not one of your best interviews, but they take something from it. So, I um, I grew up in Southern California. Um, uh, my my parents had been married since the early '60s. They had a very very troubled marriage by the time I came along. I wasn't planned. I had an older brother and an older sister. They they adopted my uh, older sister back in 1966 because my mother um, had a cyst on her ovaries and didn't think she could have children. She had it removed, but but they, they wanted it. Plus, back in those days, if you, my dad was eligible for Vietnam because of his age. He was kind of old, but still still old enough to go if need be. And the draft and all that stuff was going on in the lottery. If you had a child in those days, my mom wanted a child, and if you had a child in those days, you you weren't, they didn't they didn't take you basically. Now his his brother, my uncle Matt, who was in Alabama, he got drafted. He was seventeen, and he went over there. So they adopted my sister. My mother had the surgery, and then lo and behold, you know, almost a year later, my brother Bob is born. 
And my parents were polar opposites. My dad was a very hardworking man. He, he, he did really good for himself, but he was also not a guy that wanted to have a wife or kids. And my mom was um, about six years younger than him. And they were just, 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 just if he's, when I would see old pictures of, the, of them, it was different because she was kind of a hippie chick and all that blue jeans, the whole nine yards. And dad was kind of a square, you know, so that was them. And then um, they, uh, they, they had a lot of, lot of, a uh, lot of domestic violence stuff went down at my house with my father. And uh, by the time I came along, I wasn't planned. My mom thought she was gaining an enormous amount of weight. And she went to a doctor and they said, yeah, you're, you're pregnant. This was in 75. And then I was born July of 76. And I weighed 11 pounds, Michael, and the umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck. And she had toxemia poisoning. It's a miracle that we both survived everything. And uh, my father, he just had a lot of demons. You know, he's long gone. Both my parents are gone now. And he... He, he, he just had problems. I mean, he, he physically would hurt my mom. Nothing was ever done about it. This was in, this was in San Diego at the time, and it was uh, an upper middle class neighborhood. And that sort of thing just didn't go on. So um, eventually, in 1986, my parents, he finally left, and he, uh, he, he moved away and then started his own business with another guy in, in, in a town called El Centro, California. It was out in the Imperial Valley. And they, he, he worked at San Onofre, a nuclear power plant for many years. And then he uh, went out there and started a company. Well, at that time, he wouldn't pay child support or alimony. It was just your, your typical ugly divorce. And uh, he had gone exempt on his taxes for a few years. So I remember it was just me and my mom. And we came home one day, and there was a padlock on the on the, the, the door. The IRS had taken the house. And all I had was the clothes on my back, and that's it. So we we were homeless for about a week. And uh, my grandmother got us an apartment in uh, downtown Chula Vista. And there are no photos of me as a child anywhere out there at all. I mean, so, you know, my mom said, well, it was sad and scary at the same time, but she she taught she taught me not to put an emphasis importance on material stuff. I had a great mom, Michael. I really did. And um, so I, I uh, shortly after this, this was just like '86 was a bad year, man. And after that, I was hit by a car, skateboarding, uh, a couple of days before Thanksgiving of '86. And I had a severe head injury. It was, it was pretty gnarly. And I lived, obviously, but I, I suffered some learning disabilities as a result of this. I had a TBI, but they didn't know what a TBI was back in the days. So, What is that? Uh, traumatic brain injury. Yeah, my head, I had 42 stitches in my head. And they did MRIs, but they didn't have the technology they do now. It caused memory problems. It caused learning problems. It, I had to I had to go to a speech therapist and literally learn how to talk again. I mean, I was in bad, bad shape. My mom was with me the whole step of the way. And then um, I I had done some acting stuff as a kid, way before this happened when I was very very young. And I always had a a connection to that world somehow. Okay, so. Fast forward a few years later, my grandmother, who lived down the street, my brother lived with her. 
she dies, Bob goes off and works for my father. And my parents' divorce was finally finalized in 1995. I mean, my God, it took a decade almost for this thing to happen. There were a lot of bitter feelings. And 1999, my father catches lung cancer. And my mom wanted me to go take care of him. And I, I, I was against it at first because of the, the, the abuse that he put her through. And just really, we were not close. And I, I did, though, uh, you know, and, and I got to learn who he was in the last three months of his life. And it was kind of a, you know, Robin Williams, God rest his soul, did, a, did an analogy about him and his dad and how when he when he got to know his father, he used the Wizard of Oz. He said, you know, it's like the scary thing, you know, and then you pull back the curtain. It's just a little simple old man. Same kind of thing with my dad. My dad, you know, he just, he was 60 years old when he went. And the cancer took him quick, and my mom had forgiven him for all the things, for, forgave him for all the things he did. That just kind of, you know, that's the type of woman she was. And then um, at that time, uh, my brother had married a girl a couple of years prior to that, and they had uh, my nephew Mark, and then they had another another child. And Bob had gone through a really bad out with drug addiction when he lived with, with Nana, our grandmother, and then he uh, he cleaned himself up. And the reason why he cleaned himself up was, well, there was, it was two reasons. One, my dad had fired him for stealing. And then secondly, the court said, okay, you can do 90 days in jail or 90 days in a drug rehabilitation. And also, when my grandmother died in 1990, she had it set up in her will that Bob was to complete a, a rehabilitation center, uh, you know, get cleaned up before he inherits his uh, inheritance. So he did it, and he came out, and then at the time of my father's death, Bob was doing good. He was he was in uh, Narcotics Anonymous. He was uh, just, he was a deacon at a church. I mean, it was like a whole different guy. And um, around about a year after my father died, when my dad died, he left uh, he left an inheritance for me and Bob and the kids, and you know it was it was, it was decent. It, I didn't I didn't really think of the dollar amount because to me it was just I didn't care. You know it wasn't nothing spectacular, but it didn't matter. You know my father was gone, and um, Bob and his wife his wife had a history of messing around with heroin, and she had brought it into his world, and they started using heroin, which was really dangerous because. They have kids. And the very first time, I remember the very first time that I knew Bob was on heroin was I went to his house one day to drop off his little one, the youngest boy, and Bob was laying on the ground. And I thought he was like playing dead, you know, we walk in there and he'd pop up and, you know, like, you know, just joking around. No, he was out. And I, I, Michael, I never knew anybody that did heroin. I, I did. I thought it was just like old drug from the 60s that people like Janis Joplin did, Hendrix, and things like that. I didn't think it actually was a thing anymore. That's how naive I was. And they were. And, and then uh, my mother wanted to live back in San Diego, so uh, she had moved to Chula Vista, and I was with her. And they just lived a very rough life. And I, I didn't do a lot of anything. I went through a weird time. And then their, one of their children had passed, the youngest one did, and it wasn't a natural passing, it was a horrible passing, and a horrible accident that occurred. And the, 
he had, she had a boy. There was like three kids in the house at the end of the day. One of them dies. The two other nephews go to live in a foster home with the Jehovah's Witness family. And I'm not downing the Jehovah's Witness faith. I mean, there's, I met some very nice people, but it's, it's different than what I was used to. Very exclusive group of, they don't really, con they have their own belief systems. And if you're not in line with it, it, it you're not one of them. It was kind of like that deal. So I hardly got to see my nephews. And Bob and his wife ended up in San Bernardino, which is over by Riverside, uh, California. And he had, he had gone through all of his funds and, 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 and they were homeless and they would split up and Bob would call me and I, my mom and I, and I would go up there into really horrible, horrible neighborhoods actually. And I would take Bob off the street and I would take him to San Diego and put him in a drug rehabilitation center and he would do the, uh, the two weeks here, the week here, whatever it was. And then he'd go back to her. She was just like this, it was a very codependent relationship, which is normal for people involved in what, what they were doing. Around that time in 2010, I had to take my mother to the hospital one day because she was having severe back pains, kidney, kidney pains, her kidneys were shutting down and it's from dehydration. They rehydrated her and they noticed that her heart was not beating normally. And then they had to put a pacemaker in her. So there was about a whole week of hell, I remember. It was just, she didn't leave the hospital. They put a pacemaker in. And then there was more health problems that arose out of it. Diabetes, just a lot of, you know, it just hit her all at once. She was 64 at the time. And um, I became her full-time caretaker. And this is where the story gets really bad. I um, was way closer to my mom than I ever was my dad. It's just the way it was. And I was terrified of her dying. And they had to put a stent in her right main artery because it was closed. And it was just hard. You could tell she was miserable. She couldn't she couldn't even walk 20 feet without without being out of breath. And this was a woman that was very physically active, danced a whole nine yards, but you know, her body was was turning on her. And this about a month before she died is when my world everything went crazy. So I would have to periodically do missing persons report on Bob and they would give him, cause you couldn't find him. He was like a nomad. He was like this, this guy that it was, it was weird. So I um, would do that. And then one, and then I remember I was a cigarette smoker and the doctor and my mom smoked a little bit and they said, you got to quit smoking. You know, it's going to kill you. And they had given, I had got a prescription for a pill called Shantix, which is an anti, you know, gets you to quit smoking. And it's very, I'm sure it works for some people. It did not work on me. It was dangerous. I didn't smoke. That was one blessing. But the, the flip side was it made me very irritable and angry. And it was just a very unpleasant pill. And um, I had taken her, this is this was the day my world collapsed. I had taken her, it was in... Uh, May, early May of 2013, I had taken her to a cardiologist and she had an abnormal heartbeat, but it was normal for her, if that makes sense. And um, I was on those Shantex pills and it was all FDA approved, but it makes you, it just made you angry, Michael. It was really, really a nasty pill. And I could tell, like, you know, this may be it. I, I could tell something wasn't right. And we got up we were by San Diego State University by the college and I was at a stop sign 
And there was these two guys, they were college age boys, maybe early 20s, and they were walking down the street, walking by us, and her window was down. And my mom would always smile. She was just a beautiful soul all the way around. And um, one of them said, you know, what are you looking at, blank, blank, blank? And I lost it, Michael. I got out of the car and I beat the living hell out of, out of one of the guys. And the other guys went. The other guy went running off. And my mom was like, you know, get in the car, get it, you know. And I drove away. And I, I, I can't. I, I, I'm not. I'm not bragging at all. But I really laid a big beating on this guy. And uh, I went home. My mom said, "Don't worry, you know." You, you know, I, she was she was disappointed, obviously, but she it was just it, it wasn't good. It was I should have kept driving, and I, if I could ever go back in the time, I'd go back to that day and I would have kept driving. So, a couple of days later was Mother's Day. I was still very aware of what I did, not happy about it, and I knew repercussions would happen if I was caught. So, Mother's Day happened. Then a couple of days after that, one morning I woke up very early. And I went out to the, uh, the car, you know, because there was uh, there was something wrong with the uh, coolant. It was leaking coolant. And I remember clear as day, Michael. I woke my mom up. I said, "All right, you know." And I would I'd cook her breakfast. I'd give her pills. And I like oh, I, I told her, "Okay, think about what you want to do today." And last thing I did, I saw her smiling. And I went out of my apartment, went downstairs, went through a gate. And I'm walking down. I was, I was parking on the street, and I'm walking. And I see a guy in a truck, and he looks like he's like napping almost. And then he stormed out of the truck and had a gun on me, and he was a policeman, told me to get on the ground. And then like five cop cars, it was like boom, all out of a sudden. And I got arrested. And they charged me with great bodily injury, assault, just a lot of stuff. And I was taken to jail, and I had no way of reaching her. And I, they, they, they really, I had never been in trouble with the law before, never. So that was one good thing, but I was so worried about her because I was her caretaker. Now I'm in jail, but you break a law, that's what happens. I can't justify what I did and I, I will never justify it. It was horrible, but it was just a, a, a loss of, you know, this is the old saying that I, I say to people that it only takes a minute to destroy a lifetime. And this is what I did. So. I had to wait over a month before I, I mean, I had went in there and pleaded not guilty. I got some public defender and I couldn't see my mom. I couldn't talk to her because it was just, they cut you off in the world when you're in there. And uh, I, about two weeks after being in there, I got a, uh, uh, one of the sheriffs called me over at the PA system. I was in a big modular and he said, you know, I'm sorry, your mom died. And my mom had died in her sleep when I was in there and I just lost it. I mean, it was a very, you know, it was a very horrible, I can't even explain. Very traumatic. I, yeah, I can't even explain what it's like because I, I can't even explain it, man. I, I just, my, I, I felt like I just I disintegrated. And the uh, the other inmates knew and they, they were very, I mean, there were some hardened people in there and they were very, sympathetic to what happened to me so they don't let you out of jail when this sort of things happens because you're in jail uh, a guy I met in there older Hispanic guy who had, uh, was facing a murder charge he was like in the 
because he was like my mom's age. He got me in touch with a lawyer who he knew personally. And this guy, I don't want to talk about him too much, but he, uh, he was involved in some heavy, heavy stuff in Mexico, but he took me under his wing and he got me, uh, he got me in touch with a lawyer and the lawyer said, you know, this is a probation case. You're going to get out in no time. So he, I retained him with my, I would get an inheritance check once a month and I use that to, to, to pay for the man. Meanwhile, my apartment is being taken from me. My mom, they had to do an autopsy. I mean, I, it was, it, I can't, I, it was a hell I can't explain. So I got a county year, which is basically six months in jail. I did f- a little over five months. I get out of jail, of, it was uh, the 13th of October, 2013. I had lost a lot of weight. I had, there was no, we didn't have a rec time, meaning there was no sunlight. I was pale as a ghost. I looked like death. And I was homeless again. And I went and lived with a friend of mine from high school who I'd known for many, many years. And um, my mom had been cremated and I, I, I got to scatter. They released rashes to me. It was a great society called the Neptune Society in San Diego. And they gave me rashes and I scattered them over the Pacific Ocean. And I, I had a memorial for her. And then, uh, but I was at rock bottom, man. I was done. I was on probation. And probation officer was very nice to me they, because they were used to, I was not a hardcore person. I was minor, minor to them, but this was what happens when you break the law. So I, uh, I did that. And then I met a woman a year later who ended up becoming my wife. And when I first met her, I had, I had lied about my past. I had said, you know, my family, yeah, I, I, I said a lot of things that were not true. And she found out about them, but still accepted me for me. And I, uh, before we were wed, I went to go, she had to move up to Central California up by Fresno. And she said, I want you to come with me. And I went with her, her and her two boys who are now 15 and 17. Uh, and they were 10 and 12 when I met them. And I, I took on a whole new responsibility. I'm Kyle. This is Steven. Together we host a show called Boy Meets World. Tell them what we cover on Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World. But that's not all, is it? No. Now we cover life experiences. Ours. Oh, son of a <laughs> Just check out the show, please. We really, <laughs> we really need it. Okay, we need a win. Just check us out. We talk about the show Boy Meets World. Each episode of our show, we run parallel for an episode of Boy Meets World, where we will examine the show. That's way too much. What happens? You know, our life, how it relates to it, experiences. I can't believe you're still recording. I am recording. This. <laughs> check it out, guys. You'll get some hilarious stories from me and Steven from our childhood. You'll get a great... <laughs> ah, I lost it. I had met a lot of famous people in my life. People, you know, done great things, films, all stuff. You know, that people ask me, how do you know half the people you know? And I, when I was a kid. Well, Facebook, you know, reopens the doors for people and you get to connect with people and then talk to folks that you went to grammar school with possibly. And it's Facebook. Everybody's out there sometimes. And I had done some work with uh, 
a couple gentlemen that were in the film that worked on the film Jaws. One of them was a screenwriter. One of them was a production designer. And a guy in Boston who was a podcaster reached out to me. And says, you know, I'd like to interview them on my podcast. So. At that time, Michael, I didn't know anything about podcasts. I didn't listen to them. I did I, nothing, and uh, I arranged it for them to go be interviewed, like like this, like what we're doing. I, but I didn't know how to do it. I, I hooked it up, and he says, "You know, you know a lot of people. Let's collaborate." And I did, and then I uh, worked with two guys in New York, and I, I had booked a lot of people on their program, but I didn't see this becoming anything big. And as nowadays, I work with. Over 300 shows, podcasts, radio shows. I have a, a decent. I have a, I have some clients. Some come, some go, and I make a living doing that. And I, uh, I, I. It's fun to put these things together. It's great when you can make money and help support your family and stuff. So that's that's why I do it. And I, I, I deal with some very interesting personalities. Not usually the show hosts. You know, you and other show hosts. They're all they're great. It's sometimes it's the, it's the, uh, the the talent pool I got to deal with it. But uh, I just I, I still carry a lot of guilt of my mom. And then um, as of recently. Uh, my older brother Robert passed away. He passed away last Saturday. I don't know when this when the show will be released that we're doing here, but uh, Bob is currently. They have to perform an autopsy on him. When he when it is completed, and they they've ruled out the the, the the cause of death. I'll be able to take his. I'm gonna have him cremated, like, and I'm gonna scatter his ashes with my mom. It's scary, Michael, because I'm not even 50, and I've already outlived my immediate family. It's very surreal. I mean, we're taught in society to say goodbye to our parents. That's normal. But Bob was 52, and and how I found out last Saturday was I have a friend that lives in Kansas City, and a sheriff contacted him, the the, the law enforcement there, looking for me. And they they said they had found Bob laying on a street corner, and he had some hypothermia and slept outside. He had septus, uh, like a bad infection. And he had track mark. It's an ugly, ugly scene. And they took him to the hospital. He was quasi coherent. He gave them his social security number, and that's how they were able to find me. And uh, he had thrown up. He was. It was an ugly. The, the detective told me the whole rundown. It wasn't pleasant at all. And um, he went into a coma and had a cardiac arrest, and he's gone. So. I remember Bob for who he was when we were kids. Before drugs, it really, really ravaged him. And yes, he was playing around with him a little bit here and there in his teens. But my appreciation for you know the, the the Grateful Dead, who he took me to see, people, you know, just movies, all this stuff kind of came from Bob. You know, my big brother. That's who you look up to. He's gone now too. So there's a lot of things I wish I could have done with him. But he was so. It was just too much, and I couldn't. Now that I have a family, and I, I couldn't like kidnap him and bring him home to live with me every other week. It wouldn't have worked. I actually tried doing that one time. But I do believe in a heaven. I do believe in a higher power, my of my understanding, and I think Bob's there now, and my mom is. And but I guess the main thing I'm trying to convey out of all this is that. You can make a big mistake, and you could do something really horrible. 
like I did, but it doesn't have to be the end of your life. I have a better life now than I did. My mom was going at the corner when she died, said, you know, she was going to die anyway. This was just horrible, rotten timing. I, ha I, I don't know when I'll ever forgive myself about it. I'm still going to carry that around. But um, the work I do now with you and other folks and the stuff we do, it's positive. It's positive stuff. And I learned never to, you know, to act on bad impulse again. That's something I won't do, maybe with older maturity that comes along too. But if, you know, whoever hears this could have made a horrible, horrible mistake and, and think this is it. It's not it. Yes, I, I, I messed up a lot. I, I feel I destroyed a lifetime, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. But with what I'm doing now, I just live one day at a time. I enjoy the work that I do. And I, I think that we look at things sometimes as, you know, it's the end all. And there's people that, you know, whoever hears this, I want them to know that whether you're going through a traumatic divorce or you're, 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 you have a death, you just suffer the death of anything. The worst thing you could do is what I did, and that's shut yourself off. I didn't talk to anybody. Being when you, if you're dealing with something horrible like that, you 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 become a recluse. You don't talk to anybody. That's very dangerous. It's good to reach out to people. It is. Well, you need to. Go ahead. Um, you had told me the story of when Bob took you to uh, the Grateful Dead concert, and it was very interesting. You were ten years old. Ten years old. I was, and um, Bob was a guy that, uh, okay, Bob was the type of guy that he knew how to handle things. And I mean, he, my grandmother literally lived right down the street from my house. You'd go down, hey, left, there was a cul-de-sac, there was Nan right there. Bob lived there. The Grateful Dead were, were notorious for, for playing anywhere. I think they, they toured more than any band on earth at one time. I could be wrong, but there was a university called Southwestern College by our house, and it was right across the street from a 7-Eleven. And I mean, it was right there. It was a very small area. And the dead were coming to the college. And my brother got five tickets, and I went with my brother. I'm 10 years old, and I'm going with these older guys to see the dead. And it was a very amazing concert. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, my, my father, my parents were together at that point uh, during that time. My dad, being an old country guy, you know, didn't like all these hippies running around and stuff, you know. But he, he was, you know, because they were, they took over the they, deadheads will like take over town almost. It was kind of funny, but yeah, he took me to see the dead, and it was amazing. Man. And then after he, uh, he passed, I had revisited that band, listening to some of their music, and he was a big Zeppelin fan as well but uh i you know i'd done the post about touch of gray which is a very positive song and then so yeah but that was a great memory michael so it's those things i got to hold on to 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 remember him by when he was that when he was like that yeah and, and saying that your mother was a sweet human being i mean you have the fond memories of her mm -hmm. that you can hold on to yeah and i have to think of those memories and know that I will see them again one day but it's people used to say that we're products of our own thought and and that may be true sometimes I don't know but I I right now I, I can't complain about much 
and I, I hope that you know with, with with the whenever I get a client and I put them out to shows, I hope that they, I like to see people become literally all they can become, and, and we really, I think we set limits on ourselves unnecessarily, but I just you know I, I'm still a work in progress, I guess at the end of the day, and I have to be realistic sometimes and take ownership, which I'm and also know that I can't change certain things. Sometimes you're powerless and you feel powerless. And with Bob dying and mom, and well, I felt like, well, I could have done this. And it's sad when you when you come to the realization that you couldn't do anything. So. With, you know, with your mother, if you had been home, that probably would have happened anyway. It just so happens that you were in prison at the time. Yeah, I mean, well, jail, yes. But yeah, I was detained. I, I mean, it was the worst time you can imagine. But I had somebody in there tell me, well, you know, how would you have felt if, if you saw it? And that's a very good thing. You know, I mean, that's a very powerful statement. I don't know. I could have had a, I could have flipped out. Yeah, I think we all have a, a fear of finding one of our parents had had passed away. I, I, I've met people. Have you met people that that's actually happened to them? Yeah, and it's very traumatic. To, uh, so, in, in a way, I guess you were spared that that trauma, although it was still traumatic for you. But you were li- you, at least you weren't the one who who found her and had to deal with that initial. Michael, out. I'm not gonna. If I would have seen her, if I would have found her, Michael, I would have gone insane. No, I'm not joking. I would have lost my mind. I mean, when they told me that, I've, I, I I had a meltdown, and I remember I couldn't even sign my name. I was, I, I, so yeah, I mean, it was, I've only seen two dead people my whole life. I went to a funeral for one guy. I've never, you know, it, it, it's scary. And to see my own mom, that would have that would have crushed me. So, yeah, it would have really been bad. But being an optimist is not a bad thing to be in this world. And 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 trying to... When you've hit rock bottom, you have one, two options. You could stay down there or you can look up. It's easier said than done, believe me. But the life I live now is not a life I thought I would ever live. Do you feel like you fully have mourned her? I mean, do you feel like no, that's something? No, not at all. Not at all. It's going to take a long time. And with Bob now, it's gonna, you know, I can't just pretend like it didn't. None of the, it's tough. I, but I am, you know, I, I am something about me. You don't know. I do talk to a guy once a week who's a, psych, a psychologist. I talk to one once a week. And and, and sometimes I divert it because sometimes I, I will ignore a problem and then and just deflect it and take on something else. That's a bad habit of mine. And he works with the uh, with a couple sports organizations as their, as their doctor and clinician. So... I'll deflect and start talking about baseball or something like that. So that's one bad habit right there. But um, I, 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 you have to address the problem. But sometimes I just, I deflect. <laughs> so I have not talked to him. I'll talk to him Thursday, and I haven't talked to him since this all happened. I mean, I talked to him briefly since my brother died. But I haven't, uh, I have to read. By sometimes when you tell the story like I'm doing today, Sadly, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of makes you, you know. Sometimes I don't want to think about it, but I have to deal with it. So I will, because the sooner you deal with something, you're on the road of of, of healing. 
It's just, it's just a sad ending. And yeah. What, why don't you, to, to close us out, yeah. uh, let us know some things <laughs> that you are grateful for, some things that uplift you and you're happy that you have in your life. Uh, well, one is my wife. The second thing is uh, uh, she, she helped me through a rough time. Second thing, too, is um, the work I do with, with people like you, friends like you. You're a friend of mine. I really value that. And it's, it's, it's exciting to hear when we put one of these things together, an interview show with, with people who are talking about their lives and, and then what they've done and what they're doing now. It's great to see things happen for them. You know, you become more, you, you uplift people and it helps you get through, it helps you feel better about, you know, about life in general. I hear a crow in the background. Is that a pet? Or I am. I'm out, no, no, no. I'm actually out back. It's, it's very sunny out here today and there's a crow flying around. I see him. Yeah, he's but just a talking, isn't he? He's talking up a storm. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> we're on the air here. So, <laughs> but. But no, but working with, you know, friends, I've, I value, you're a friend of mine. I really value your friendship. You're, you're a great person. I'm glad I met you. We've done some great stuff together. But I knew coming on your program, I would have to get real, real about a lot of stuff. And, and, and you know, a lot of people, I've only done like a handful of interviews, like six in my whole life. And I've, I, but I booked over a couple thousand easily. And the thing is, is that, I, I think that people have a perception of me uh, that, that, that don't know me that well, thinking, well, he, he has a lot of fun all the time. He's saying, you know, they see the people I've worked with, you know, and, and it's true, but it's also, I'm also very, I'm still very reclusive. I still don't deal a lot with a lot of people. So, but I yeah, think it's, a, it's a lot of work what you do. I know you spend a lot of time uh, booking shows. Oh, Lord, it is. It really is. I'll actually strain my voice at the end of the day by talking. I, I, I can do easily eight, 18 calls. I'm not exaggerating about this. I, I can. And you know this, you've been on the receiving end a lot of these. You know? So it's um, it's good. You feel like you accomplished something. But I don't really rest until, okay, like, you know, you and I, for instance, will set up an interview with somebody and we set up a date and so on. But it's not over till it's in the can you know, and are and done. So, but, and I, I've, I've been treated kind of poorly by some people in the past, you know, and, and it is what it is. But when, I guess when something horrific happens like death, your perceptive, your, your perception on things cha changes and you look at things differently. And after all I've been through, I, I make it a point not to get stressed out about minuscule stuff. You know, really it's, it's, um, uh, Life is too short. It's an old cliche, but it is. And uh, I, but yeah, I, I enjoy what, what I'm doing nowadays and the life I'm living. Uh, things are not the greatest right now, obviously, but it's, it, they will get better. And someone told me, oh God, you know, 2020 started off horrible for you. Yeah, well, that's not, that, that's not the, that's not the end all of the year. You know, I mean, it, it's, this is, this is life and on life's terms. And I have to do the best I can right now. Sorry to show the door there. I had to do the best I can right now with what I'm doing because tomorrow's not promised to you or I. So 
But I, I just really want your listeners to know that that if you make a horrible mistake, it's not the end of you, you know. And and if you are battling substance, if someone is hearing this and they are battling substance abuse, try to get help because you're going to end up dead. It's just the reality. If you you know you can't be you can't it will kill you. And then you have relatives that you leave behind which, you know, feeling like I do right now. And, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody in that, but it's, it, it's a family disease. And it, it hurts the ones you leave behind. Yeah, it affects everybody in your life. Mm-hmm. My brother initially committed suicide, if you want to get down to it. He, he, he a slow suicide, but it was suicide nonetheless. And... You know, you reach out to people. I think I, I encourage people to reach out to people, some sort of support system, so they don't have to feel so alone in this world. People that abuse substances, um, they normally do that because they're hurting in some way, or they, yeah, um, yeah, that they they're trying to cover up a feeling that they have that they don't like having. And I understand that. And I can't get you hate you love the person, you hate the disease. Right. And and he did that. He was so miserable. I mean, he was very miserable. So he turned, he numbed himself. Take the pain away. Anybody would do that. Sad thing is, it's not a, it's not a natural processing. And I know that there with the grace, that could have been me. See, Bob saw a lot more of the abuse from our parent, from, from our dad than I ever saw. He was a good 10 years ahead of me when it came to that. So Bob, uh, you know, he saw a lot more of it, and the drug use with him, he got into it. I never got, I never got into that world. I never, I never fell down that that rabbit hole. Thank God. But I could see why people do, and it's especially hard for young people now. I have two teenage boys that are set boys that are fifteen and seventeen. I could, I always tell them the dangers of, of going down that way and they're smart they're not going to go that route but the thing is is that it's not he bob started young and, and and it will progress and it will get worse and that's one thing i try to emphasize on him not to do but yeah. um yeah once you start an addictive drug like that it you know there it's kind of hard to stop and it you've just known keeps people snowballing. i'm sure yeah and i'm knowing you you've probably known people i'm sure that they've gone down that yeah, but there are people out there like Scott Silverman to drop a name who specialize in helping people. It's it's society is better now than it was when you and I were younger because you were you were you were outcasted as being an addict. You know, you're 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 degenerate. You're this. You're that. Now I think people are more sympathetic t- towards that, and also with people with mental health issues. We had a problem in California where people who had severe bipolar and schizophrenia were getting shot by the police. The police were shooting them because they would have an episode and they would act out and the police would be called and the police, this really happened, Michael. People thought, the police thought, well, this person's on PCP and they shot him. Now they have to take sensitivity classes, but it's like with PTSD and our our veterans coming back from uh, the, the last conflict we had in the Middle East. Prior to that, when you and I were kids, you know, Vietnam veterans were, well, you saw what happened with those poor people. So it's sad, but, you know, there is hope out there and there is help. 
whether it be addiction or just anything. And even if you're not in the, if you're not in the world of addiction, if you are grieving because of death or divorce or something, you ha- the worst thing you can do, I can't stress enough, is, is lock yourself up and not talk to anybody. And that could be a priest, a rabbi, or whatever. A best friend you grew up with, it doesn't matter. It's something you have to, you have to, you have to. It's if you bottle it up, it's like an acid that eats a container that it's in. So. Well, you don't, you don't face it if you do that. You're kind of put it, putting it away and not wanting to deal with it. The best thing to do is to have to deal with it because that's yeah. what makes you grow. Yeah, it, it is. And with my mom, eventually I'll be, I'll be able to you know i'll be able to it just takes time we all and 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 let's not um you know people put uh time limits you know people say well you know you got two months to grieve or you got you know don't put a time limit on yourself and don't appease other people if they say well you should be over this and no 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 you 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 have your own time clock on things yeah i mean it's somebody you spend your whole life with Every minute, you know, she was in your life. Yeah. And it's not that easy to forget about that sort of thing, you know. But um, I also, you know, tell people that they should also have a reason to, a a passion, you know, like you, you, you're an artist, for instance. They should have something they enjoy doing. I don't know what it is, whatever it is, you know, reading, writing, or whatever. They should they should really get involved in something like that. Well, let's see. Um, okay. Why don't you let my listeners know a way that they can contact you if they're looking for a publicist? Uh, well, I don't have a website right now. I'm actually getting one built by our friend Chris, who uh, Realm of the Mist, Chris. And uh, but I'm on Facebook. It's Stephen Joiner, S-T-E-V-E-N-J-O-I-N-E-R. Uh, I, you know, that's, I, I, I do have a, a contact number. I can, I feel comfortable with sharing as far as, you know, reaching out to me. And that number is 816 area code 605-4561. That is 816-605-4561. And then if someone wants to email directly, it's Steve SJ network at gmail.com. And, um, I haven't even, you know, I didn't, we didn't go into all I do with that, but uh, with the publisher work, but you know, I'm, I'm always looking to take on a new project and work with a new person. Well, I certainly appreciate you um, sending all the interviews you have to me. Oh, you enjoying them? Oh yeah. And it's been, oh, it's been deal. a godsend for me. Well, you have too. I get it. You're, you're, you're an easy person to work with. You're a likable person. I hope we meet and we meet in person sometime soon you know and uh thank you and this has been really fun doing this show i and and i'm very proud of the work you do with with the show and i hope whoever hears this maybe can take something from it i don't know i think they will i think this will probably touch a lot of people there's a lot to live for and there's a lot to keep going for and when 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 life hits us with a really nasty curveball we still have a chance to to finish out that game, you know.